And I come from the book of 1 Peter, the fifth chapter, um, verses 2 through verses 9. I invite you to hear the voice of God speaking to us through these words of Holy Scripture. Like shepherds, tend the flock of God among you. Watch over it. Don't shepherd because you must, but do it voluntarily for God. Don't shepherd greedily, but do it eagerly. Don't shepherd by ruling over those who are entrusted to your care, but become examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. In the same way, I urge you who are younger, accept the authority of the elders. And everyone, and everyone, clothe yourselves with humility toward each other. God stands against the proud, but he gives favor to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under God's power so that he may raise you up in the last day. Throw all your anxiety onto him because he cares for you. Be clear-headed, keep alert. Your accuser, the devil, is on the prowl like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So this was not the planned sermon for this morning. When I left on vacation last week and had put our information into our worship planning system that we use, Oh, I can hear myself. That was very loud. Okay. Um, I put in a different scripture. And so when I showed up this morning and said, I'm preaching something different, I could see everyone else go, ooh, we kind of planned around the other. That's okay. It has been a week. Anybody had a week? There are always interesting things that happen, especially when you decide to leave and go on vacation. And so one of the things that happened while I was gone was our own sweet Mary Larson had a horrific car accident and was injured. And this church has rallied around her in amazing and wonderful ways. And so as soon as I could, after our airplane touched back down in the country, I went to visit her. And I know that Cheyenne Maddox and Caitlin Ferguson are with her in her hospital room this morning. We may have a picture of her worshiping with us. See that smile on her pretty face. And so what I would like to invite us to do is to send our love to her. Can I count to three? And at the, when I get to three, can we say, we love you, Mary? Can we do that? All right. One, two, three. We love you, Mary. Right. This church has been an amazing example of exactly what a church should be, in my opinion. We have rallied around her, and I, I want you to be incredibly proud of your staff, because I am incredibly proud of the people I work with. We are a fraction of the number of people that we were when I got here. And yet, Emily Whitney as our executive director, Matt Headley as our associate pastor, Emma as our communications director and student ministry director, have jumped in and filled the gap and took care of things. The church was in good hands while I was gone. It was one of those that I kind of went, they don't really need me. They've They've got it handled, um, which is a wonderful place to be. So as I looked around and I felt like the sermon that had been planned was not the sermon I was supposed to preach, I turned to the lectionary. For those of you who don't know what the lectionary is, it's a set of 
three years worth of sermons. It'll take you through all the major, major themes of Scripture, not through every word, but you'll get Old Testament, the gospel, um, letters to the churches, and Psalms, take you through all those. And I landed on this First Peter, which is the epistle or the New Testament lesson for today. It felt fitting on Senior Sunday as we honor two of our graduating seniors and on a day when um, Miss Mary is so much in our prayers because she is the epitome of a leader. We have some wonderful, wonderful leaders here. In the sermon series that I did just after Easter, we talked about our vision and where we were going and what we were doing and how we were going to get there. And you heard me say, that as we grow as disciples, we don't just convert people, we're also supposed to be maturing them. We make and mature disciples, baptizing and teaching. And that the way we do that, the way we grow is we gather, grow, give, and go. We gather in worship with one another. We come to worship regularly. We are in a small group for accountability, growth, and study. We are serving and giving of our resources and our time to the kingdom of God, and we are bearing witness to the world with the way we live and who we are. And people who do that qualify as leaders within the church. Now, leaders are not just positions that we hold. As a matter of fact, the least effective kind of leadership is the one that comes with a position, with a title. Because if you ever have to lean on the title to lead, you don't really have much leadership. People follow leaders. And what does that look like? How do we lead in the church? And Peter gives us a good example of this here. Peter was a leader among the disciples. Um, I call him the disciple with foot and mouth disease because he is forever sticking his foot in his mouth with what he says. And I identify greatly with that. He was a fisherman before he became a disciple. And actually, his brother Andrew is the one who brought him to Jesus. And I think it's interesting because we don't see too much of Andrew. Andrew goes and brings his brother, and it is his brother and two of the other people who work for them in their fishing business that become the inner circle of Jesus, and Andrew is not there. And I believe in my heart that Andrew didn't care. He didn't want his brother to miss out on the Messiah, and he knew his brother had leadership gifts. You see, Peter wasn't just a fisherman. Peter owned a fishing business. Other people worked for them in that. He brought some gifts to this thing called the disciples. And so he writes this letter to the churches in Asia Minor. That's the area of Turkey. And he's mentoring them. Many of the early apostles exchanged letters because they couldn't be with the churches all the time. But it's hard to figure out how to live, how to be a church in the world. It was brand new. It's still hard to figure out how to be the church in the world today. And what Peter does is hold forth in this letter of encouragement and correction and instruction is he says to them, be a shepherd. Be a shepherd. Follow the example of the good shepherd, which was how we refer to Jesus. I love our tech people are always at work here. Um, Jesus is just called the good shepherd. Now, in the time, in the ancient days, when we talked about, is that better? Okay, cool. It sounds better to me. Okay. In the ancient days, 
in the days of King David in the Old Testament, being a shepherd was an honorable and noble career. It often went to the youngest, the one with the least experience, but it was a noble career. By the time of Jesus, being a shepherd had largely become a hired role. And not all shepherds were good. Some of them were just there to do their job. They were the ones who didn't care if the wolf just gets one of the sheep. Like, I mean, I saved 99 of them. Who's going to be real worried about the one? And Jesus says, no, no, everyone matters. Every sheep matters. You have to go after the one. That's what I'm doing. I'm coming to go after every single one. And so Peter says, be a good shepherd. And what does that look like? He says, first of all, that being a good shepherd is not just a job. It's not something you do because you have to. It's not something you have to be pressed into. It is something that you do with the right attitude, the right mindset. You want to be willing to use what God has given you for the glory of God. The other great metaphor for the church is the body of Christ. Many members made up of different people, different skills, different things that we need. But the church needs everyone. We need what we all bring to the table. And together we are able to do what we are supposed to do. So when we invite you into a role of service or leadership or position, I want to invite you to pause for a moment and just say, God, are you giving me an opportunity Are you opening a door for me to use what you have blessed me with? The gifts, the skills, the experience, the qualities to use it for your glory and for your kingdom. Now, there are always times that you need to say no, that it's not the right time or you have to have some boundaries. I'm not saying that, but I'm just inviting you to at least consider whether we need what you bring in that moment because there is enough for all of us to contribute in becoming who God needs us and wants us to be. The second thing is that since attitude matters, we're not supposed to do it greedily. That's the opposite of the first one. The first one is we have to make you do it. The other one is you're you're desperate to do it. And I'm going to tell you as a pastor, anytime someone is just cannot wait, they're chumping at the bit to get into a leadership position. I'm going to get into like it's a red flag, red flag, red flag there because leadership is about what we give we don't want to do it greedily it's not about us it's about the betterment of the whole of what we contribute and that brings us to the third thing attitude matters but so does how the how we lead in christ in christ's body the church we don't lord it over one another It's not about power. It's not about control. It's not about being in charge. It's about leading by example and showing us how to listen to the voice of God, discern where God is leading us, and then follow that forward. Jesus says that the one who would be first has to be willing to be last, and that the one who will be greatest in the kingdom of God is the one who is servant of all. That's exactly upside down to the way the world works both our world today and the ancient world of the time when the churches in Asia Minor were trying to figure out how to be the church and Peter is trying to help them. That advice is very applicable to us today. And let's remember the history of God's people. They had been slaves. They had been oppressed in Egypt. They had no agency, no power. They were mistreated. It was cruel. And when God delivers them, 
calls them out of Egypt and into the promised land, he says, you are not to be like that. It's going to be different among my people. You don't get to do to someone else what they've done to you. You don't get to do to someone else before they do it to you. You get to do to someone what they should have done to you. What you want them to do to you. We get called to be better than that. That, after all, is the golden rule, isn't it? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I know it's hard, but that's what we're called to do. And Peter reminds them, you do that by leading by example. I've often heard it said that it is bosses drive and push. Leaders go first and others follow them because they trust them and they love them. And that's the kind of leadership that God is looking for among us. And let me tell you, each and every one of us are leaders. We're all leading somebody because somebody is watching what we are doing. We're leading the children. We're leading our young people. We're leading people who are newer, who are infants and toddlers in the faith. And we are leading the world in what we say to them about who Christ is and what the church is and what we are supposed to be. And Peter says to us that the key principle The guiding principle of it all is humility. Humility is our self-test. Are we humble? If our leadership cannot be characterized as humble, then it's not Christ-like. Let me say that again. If our leadership cannot be characterized as humble, it is not Christ-like. And Peter doesn't stop there. He goes on to give us some instructions about how to exhibit humble, Christ-like leadership. How to resist the things that prevent us from doing that. And he gives us two of them here. The first one is fear. Fear creates anxiety. And anxiety will keep us from leading well. When we get scared, we get stupid. And I mean that literally, very literally, we have this thing within us called the fight or flight response. When something scares us, it makes us uncomfortable, the blood literally leaves our brain and goes to the extremities because we may have to fight or we may have to run away. And we need to be able to do that. But you know what you need to make good decisions? Lots of blood flow to the gray matter there. So in order to think well, we need to not be afraid. And I think we have been afraid, Christians in the United States, for a very long time. Worship attendance in the United States peaked in 1955 and has been on a steady decline across denominations, across areas of the country. The South holds their own just a little bit more, but we've been on a downhill slide since 1955. COVID created all sorts of anxiety in us. It jumped a lot of trends forward. Our own denominational struggles and issues and the publicity that comes with it have created anxiety within us. And anxiety, my friends, is the antithesis of faith. It is the opposite of the faithfulness that we need to follow God courageously. 
all too often we're trying to do it in our own power. We're trying to figure out the answer. We're trying to figure out the solution. And absolutely, God gives us brain cells and expects us to use them. We do our very best, but there comes a point where we can't figure it out. And you know what we do? We trust God. Peter says it this way, throw all your anxieties on Jesus. Throw them all on God. We were traveling. And let me tell you, I believe when we landed coming back into the country in the Atlanta airport, I think our runway and the customs office I had to go to were not in the same state. It was a very long walk. I'm pulling the suitcase. I've got the backpack on. By the time we got to our car, we had to catch a bus to go to where we parked the car, I threw my suitcase in the back of the car. The suitcase is still packed because I don't care what's in there. I've abandoned it. I don't need it anymore. I threw it in the back of the car. It's the, that's what he's saying. He's like, throw that stuff off. Just throw it on God. He's got this. And he says, why? Because God cares for you. We sometimes think God expects us to figure it all out on our own, and he doesn't. He doesn't, and he cares. He cares about this stuff. He cares more than we do about it. God has a huge investment in how God's children treat one another and how we live in the world. We can trust God and put it in God's hands. We give it to them. We don't have to keep worrying about how it's all going to work out. There is a quote that I believe comes from a movie and a war scene, but it says, Ours is not to question why. Ours is but to do and die. Um, it's not an equivalent thing. But we do our part, and God will do God's part. We don't have to worry about it. We don't have to stay anxious about it. God's got this, and God's part is amazing. Because God is able to do far beyond all we can think or ask or even imagine happening. When we let God drive and lead us forward, it is amazing. And the second thing that will prevent us exhibiting humble Christ-like leadership is evil. Peter says that the enemy, the devil, Satan, the accuser, whatever name you want to use, is roaming around looking for somebody to devour. Peter calls him a roaring lion. Scary, loud, up to no good. But you know what? If a lion's roaring, I know where it is. I can see it. I can see it coming. I don't have to be the victim to it. Now, whether you believe, as I do, that there is evil, there is a personification of evil called the devil, the accuser, the Satan that shows up in the Bible, or whether you think that evil starts in the human heart, there is evil in our world. And that evil shows up even within the church because we're not perfect. We're not perfected yet. We're a people on a journey together. And sometimes we have ulterior motives. We have other agendas that creep up within us. And we have to be careful about what's going on. Our world is full of people who have been hurt by the church. Huge numbers of people that want nothing to do with the American church because of what they've seen of our ulterior motives, our other agendas. 
our not discerning and resisting the evil and ulterior motives at work among us because that comes with a hardness and a cruelty and we forget to treat one another like siblings in Christ. We forget to treat each other with love and kindness and grace. And we'll sometimes say things like, well, it's not personal, it's just business. Friends, there is zero part of Christianity that is not personal. It is about relationship. Relationship between us and God, relationship between one another, it's all personal. It's very personal. And so what do we do? How do we protect our witness? How do we do what we need to do to be the people that God needs us to be? We have an obligation to be a Christ-like community. I have a dear friend, Mike Densmore, who showed up at licensing school to teach Methodist theology. And I love the way he said it, because licensing school is how we train our pastors who serve as local pastors. They don't have a seminary degree. And he said to them, if you can't in good conscience preach Methodist theology from the pulpit, then don't be a Methodist pastor. You may still be called to be a pastor, but of some other different flavor or variety. He said, because all the churches don't have to be Methodist, but the Methodist one should be. So that's my feeling about organizations and leadership and how we lead and treat one another, is all the organizations don't have to be Christ-like, but the body of Christ does. We should be. So as we make disciples, it's about how we learn to lead and treat one another. And poor leadership is very often a maturity issue. I'm going to have a hot flash. I'm going to say to you that allowing bad leadership is a sin. Allowing bad leadership is a sin. So we have two choices. We can reform the leadership. Some issues can be reformed. We can learn and grow. If we're leading from a place of anxiety, we can work on reducing the anxiety. Prayer, Scripture, reading the stories of how God has done what looked impossible before. Because with God, nothing, nothing is impossible. We find ways to share it with one another, to help and encourage one another and lower the anxiety so that we are not leading from that place. We can learn to communicate better so we don't offend and hurt one another with the words that we choose. We can make room for our differences, understanding that we think differently, we operate differently, we start from a different place and make room for all of that within the family of God. But what do we do when anxiety, when inexperience and immaturity are not the issues? What do we do when that roaring lion is involved? And it can be conscious or unconscious, intentional or unintentional, but we have an obligation to the person and to the others in the church to not let unhealthy leadership continue. Allowing bad leadership is sin. It damages the witness of Christ to the world. And it hurts people. It hurts other people within the church. And we can't just stand by and watch other people get hurt. We have an obligation to be Christ-like. All of that Peter wraps up for us in these seven or eight verses. 
He wants us to willingly bring what we can to the table in a way of leading and moving forward. He's blessed us with skills, resources, and experiences that can benefit the larger body of Christ. We lead for the good of the body, not for ourselves. We do it for others. This is sacrificial love at work for the betterment of all. We help one another grow. We treat everyone kindly. The mark is love for us. And we resist. The very last phrase of this passage was resist. Resist anything that is not Christ-like. Resist it in your life. Resist it in a group. Resist it in a team meeting. Resist anything that doesn't line up with Christ. That's the journey of growing as a Christian and maturing. We stand firm. Firm in the love of God. Firm in the grace of Jesus Christ. Firm in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Firm in our faith. One of the phrases that jumps out at me, that pinches me every time I read it, is that God stands against the proud, but gives favor to the humble. God's favor comes to us in the difficult moments when we exhibit Christ-like leadership. I have seen incredible examples of Christ-like leadership in this church. Let's let it be infectious. Let's spread it to one another. Let's keep doing it. Let's grow in it. Let's be people that God can favor. Let's pray. Gracious, almighty, loving God, kindle within us the fire of your love. Lead us forward by the example of our good shepherd as we seek to shepherd one another, to watch over one another in love, to follow you with courage and kindness. Cultivate in each one an awareness of how we are leading ourselves and how we are leading one another to walk in your grace and your love, your mercy and your justice, your righteousness and your holiness. Draw us unto you and send us out in your name. As we ask in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.